All right, well, let's go ahead and get started. Um, just as a quick update, wanted to let everybody know that William Whitehead uh, was just released from the hospital, and so he and Faye have gone home. I talked to him, and he's, he's doing well, so that's a praise report. Uh, continue to pray for uh, the uh, MacArthur family uh, as, as Martha is uh, finishing up with, with the chemotherapy, and um, we need to remember the, the uh, Blackstone family as um, they deal with Scott's death. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get started. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you. Um, for just the way that you use situations that uh, the enemy means for evil, for our good. Lord, I pray for our country right now, Lord. I pray that you would protect folks from uh, COVID-19. Lord, I pray that you would um, protect folks' minds. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would protect folks as, as folks are are doing crazy stuff. Lord, I just pray your mercy on our country right now. Lord, we thank you so much that William has gone home. Lord, we thank you for the way you're working in the MacArthur family. Lord, we thank you for the way you've worked in the Smith family. Lord, we pray now for um, Sheila, Lord, as she deals with Scott's passing. Lord, that your grace would just hover over that family. Lord, I pray for Chase, that he would have understanding. Lord, we pray that you would uh, work in this situation. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, last week, we finished up with Second Chronicles, and Second Chronicles ended with this paragraph. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Nehemiah opens with this paragraph. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation through all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judea, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Sound familiar? Uh, word for word, clearly the same text. Uh, so, which leads us to the question, um, who wrote the book of Ezra? And the author of that book is unknown. It, it has in... Um, Ezra 1 through 6 goes through events that occurred long before Ezra's time. Uh, 7 through 9 clearly is Ezra himself speaking. And so in all likelihood, this was compiled uh, maybe by Ezra. Historically, uh, people have assumed that Ezra put the book together, but the text doesn't say. And so we're not going to be emphatic about anything. The date of the book, now we remember 
that the temple was destroyed, um, the first temple, Solomon's temple, was destroyed in 586 B.C. So uh, in 538 B.C., the decree of Cyrus, the ending of the exile, and so seven, exactly 70 years after the, the temple is destroyed, in 516 B.C., the temple is rebuilt. And so in 458 B.C., Ezra arrives in Jerusalem. So um, we, we have about 400 years before the 450 years before the birth of Christ that Ezra go, comes from uh, Babylon to to um, Jerusalem. So Ezra one through six covers the time frame from about 538 to 515 in the building of the temple. The the people that went came up against that idea. Uh, Ezra 7, all the way through the book of Nehemiah, uh, covers from about 458 B.C. When, um, up to 433 B.C. So we have, uh, we have two different kind of time areas. In the, the, the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are one literary unit. It's one book. Um, in the, your English Bible, obviously, they're separated. But we see uh, kind of a compare and contrast of leadership. We're going to talk more about that next week, but I want you to just kind of pay attention as we go through the book of Ezra, how Ezra as a leader functions, uh, and we will juxtaposition that with how Nehemiah as a leader functions. Um, the purpose of this book is to show the the... Uh, encourage the post-exilic community toward pure worship and pure behavior. It's a reinstallation of the Mosaic Covenant with the people of God, both in worship, which is the heart of our obedience, and in action. Um, We see several key themes. Uh, We see that the Lord is always faithful in His promises. Whether we're faithful in obedience or not, God does what He said He would do. Again, we've, we, as we've looked at First and Second Chronicles, we looked at First uh, and Second Kings. Um, we, I've said over and over again, it's important for us to remember that God is faithful to do what He said He would do. In today's world, um, if you watch the news, if you get on your 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 device and read the news, it's really easy right now to get overwhelmed, to feel like uh, everything has, has gone uh, akimbo, everything is weird, uh, we've lost our collective minds as a country, common sense has died in our country, it seems like. I know myself, Monday, I, I got up and, and got to digging around in the news, started reading this, that, and the other thing, um, and by Wednesday afternoon, I mean, Monday afternoon, I, I felt like I was just frenetic. Uh, I, I was just about ready to explode. So I took yesterday um, and just spent some time in God's Word, and I did not open Facebook, really. I didn't, di- didn't do anything with the news, um, and it had such a calming effect because God is faithful. And that's important to remember is it seems like everything's losing its bearing to remember that Psalm chapter 1 still says, 
Blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of waters that brings forth its fruit in his season. His fruit also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does will prosper. That text is still in the Bible. It's still there telling us that if we meditate on God's word, we do the things that we're supposed to do, that God's hand will be on us and God's blessing will be on us. So the first theme we see is the Lord's faithful to his promises. The second theme is the Lord works providentially by all means, especially through powerful rulers to bring about his greater purposes. The book of Psalms says, the heart, I'm sorry, sorry, the book of Proverbs says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Nothing happens outside of his providential control. Cyrus was a powerful king. Cyrus, we read in his own writings, called himself king of kings and lord of lords. He made his own decisions. Nobody on earth was as powerful as Cyrus. And yet the text, twice we read in Second Chronicles and then in Ezra, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. God was in control of what Cyrus was doing. God is in control. No matter what the circumstances look like, we can rest in the knowledge that our God is in control. It doesn't mean that everything's going to happen the way we want it to. It doesn't mean that everything's going to happen the way that we would like it to. But what it does mean is, is that there's a greater purpose and we can trust the conductor. The exiles are the remnant of Israel, the holy race, and that they are bound by covenant to guard their identity and character as the people of the Lord by obeying his law. Here, once the folks returned from Babylon, they had to be reminded that you are still the people of God. Now, God was protecting his line, his people, A, so that the promises that he made to them, to, to Moses, to Abraham, would be fulfilled. And the big promise that God made to Abraham was that through your seed, someone is coming through whom I will bless the entire earth. Now we know that that's Jesus. That through the line of Abraham, Jesus would come. And so Ezra and Nehemiah are dealing with conflict where the children of Israel come back to their land. Other people had been settled in that land. And so the natural thing to do would be to intermarry amongst them. And so they were being told, no, that God's law still applies to you, that covenant still applies to you. And so the purpose for that we know isn't that God's genocidal. It isn't that God loves one race more than the other race. It isn't that God, it, it is that God was protecting the line through which the king would come. And that God have a, had a covenant relationship with those people. 
That, new, that old covenant was with his children. Now, don't, don't, don't get it twisted. Uh, and there's a lot of people that twist the ideas here and try to apply it weirdly in our culture. We're un, not under that old covenant anymore. Jesus said, as he uh, pa- uh, passed the bread for, um, and the cup for what is now we now call the Lord's Supper, He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That new covenant that has been established through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we are under that new covenant. So the law uh, that was a shadow of things to come uh, is fulfilled in Jesus and we've talked a lot in here about the law and the three uses of the law and, and, and why it was given. But we are not under the law. We are under grace. So don't get that twisted. People belong to the Lord by willingly accepting his covenant. In 621 we see that uh, membership in the covenant community is open to the people of any nation who meet this requirement. So in 621 of Ezra we see... Um, where God says it, it was eaten by the people of Israel who'd returned from exile, and also, and we're talking about Passover being celebrated, um, it was eaten by the people of Israel who'd returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated themselves from the uncleanliness of the people of the land to worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread, seven days with joy. And so although God's covenant relationship was with a particular group of people, here we see that some of the people who were left in the land were also participating in the covenant relationship. We see faithfulness to the Lord is demonstrated by proper attention to worship. This is shown especially in the rebuilding of the temple and the proper ordering of its services. And so we see that worship of God is the foundation for everything that we do. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, his response was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. In these are all the law and the prophets. If we are living a life of worship to our God, then obedience to the law is going to naturally fall into place. And so what Ezra is emphasizing in proper worship in the nation of Israel is the way to correct. I would offer that in the Christian walk, it's the same thing. The new covenant in the blood of Christ is still about worship, that we who are outside of the covenant, we who are grafted in to the root of Jesse, we who have no place in the covenant naturally, but are brought in and grafted in, as the book of Romans teaches us, we are to live a life where whether we eat or whether we drink or whatever we do, we do it all to God's glory, that we live a life of worship. Worship is what motivates us to missions. 
And they all went to, to, to the mountain, and some doubted. And Jesus said unto them, All authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples. Why do we make disciples? Because Jesus has all authority, and he is worthy to be worshipped. We go to the nations to tell them about Christ because he's worthy. We make peace with our brothers and sisters around the world because together we worship the king. Worship is what drives us. Worship is what completes us. Worship is what we were made for. And the corrective to the fall in the garden is worship. I can't emphasize this enough. So real quickly, let's just run through the book. So as we saw, the book opens with Cyrus's decree. Exiles returning in response to the decree. Um, and the exiles coming back to their ancestral homes. Then in chapter 3, we see that the exiles rebuild the temple on its original site. The rebuilding of the altar, the rebuilding of the temple. <clears throat> we see that um, there is opposition to that. Whenever we're doing God's work, there's going to be opposition. Do not count, find it strange that there's persecution. So the work is resumed. Uh, Cyrus's decree is confirmed uh, through chapter 5 and chapter 6. King Darius, the new king, uh, discovers and reaffirms Cyrus's decree, decree and the work is completed. Ezra the priest uh, comes to Jerusalem to establish the law of Moses. So in chapter 7, we have Ezra uh, being sent to teach the people. He, he is a priest. And so Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Which tells me, since he had, was born and raised, if you will, in Babylon, that his parents took the time to teach him. It is your responsibility as fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers to make sure that your children know your God. Thankfully, Ezra's parents did the hard work of teaching Ezra so that he was, as the text says, skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. So Ezra returns to teach um, Ezra comes with a new wave of returnees bringing royal gifts for the temple in chapter 8. So, um, <coughs> excuse me, the um, genealogies are then given to show who is kin to who. The priests are established to do their job uh, up to chapter 9. Uh, and then Ezra discovers uh, that there has been uh ungodly intermarriage. Now, I want to talk about this because uh, several times in my ministry I've had people who are reading through the Bible who get to this in Ezra and Nehemiah and it confuses them and they misunderstand. And uh, So the book refers to what is going on as marriage. So let me, let me put this in the vernacular. You have these men who have families. They have a wife and three or four kids they come from Babylon where they were living uh, in a tight-knit Jewish community 
uh, by the rivers of Babylon. They moved to Israel, uh, back to Israel. While they were gone for 70 years, various kings and tribal leaders and people in positions of authority had, just like the children of Israel, were relocated to Babylon. Other people were relocated to Israel. And so when they show up, there's all these other people. And so here we have a list of everyone who does this, those guilty uh, from chapter 10, uh, verse 18, all the way to the end, list out who did this. But So these men who have a wife, have kids who are Jewish, they show up in this new country. The habit and custom of that group is you can have multiple wives and you can, you can have multiple kids running around. And so rather than obey the law of God, they do like everybody else has done. So they got a, a 40-year-old wife with three kids. They get them some young thing from amongst the people. Ezra finds out about this, that this is going on. He condemns this. And he orders them to put away their wives. This is not condoning divorce. In no biblical sense was what was going on there a legitimate marriage. Ezra is saying, get rid of your girlfriends. Stop running around on the wives that, of your youth. And so, and they're commanded to care for the children that they had by these young ladies. So the children aren't just thrown to the street. This isn't God being cruel to those ladies or to those children. It is God enforcing his law on his people. Now, when Ezra finds out that this is happening, that these, the, 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 these intermarriages, he, he gets very upset. And I want you to remember that. He says, oh, my God, I'm ashamed and blushed to lift up my face to you. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt and for our iniquities, we, our kings, our priests, have been given into the hands of the kings of lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering. So he's saying, since we've been a nation, we've ran from God. We were given over to another nation, and then God in his graciousness has returned us, and now we're sinning again. We're doing evil, wicked things again. Oh, God, please forgive us. And it, the, the text says that Ezra tears his clothes, he pulls out his beard and mourns and commands the people, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity that you may be strong and eat good of the land, but leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. After all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve and have given us such a remnant as this, shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the people who practice these abominations? So in chapter 10, we see that the people confess and repent and turn from their sin. And we see a list now, these were found some of the sons of the priests who had married foreign women, and they're listed out. Of the Levites, of the tribe of Israel, and all the names are listed out. So we can today read who had fallen into this sin. So again, we come to the idea of be not deceived, God is not mocked, 
For whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. All right, so next week as we look at the book of Nehemiah, we'll be back together for that. Uh, if you feel comfortable coming into the service, we're going we're gonna to be doing it live next week. Um, and so I look forward to seeing you then, and um, go serve your king. <laughs>